Today on this edition of the Forest City Church Podcast, Trevor McDonald has part four of the series titled, This is My Worship. Today's message is titled, Why We Worship Jesus. I'm going to open up Mark chapter 14. I'm going to set up a little bit of context. This is Jesus is having a meal with his disciples. It's commonly known as the Last Supper or the Passover. And Jesus has uh, broken bread. He's sitting with his disciples. This is the last meal that they will take before he eventually goes to uh, the Garden of Gethsemane. And then he is betrayed. And then he is uh, arrested. And then he is nailed to a cross to die. And then three days later, he's risen from the dead. Amen, amen. But a meal takes place first. Now, if you look at John's gospel, it's John 13 through 17. It's an entire few chapters based in just within the context of that meal. We're going to read Mark 14 at the end of the meal, at the end of them eating. This is what takes place. Oftentimes, this is quoted during communion times, but we're going to look at it today together. Are you with me? Mark chapter 14, 22. It's going to be on the screens if you don't have your Bible with you. And as they were eating, he took bread, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and said, and they all drank it. And then he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Verse 26 says, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So they are having this meal. They're breaking bread. This is Jesus and the Last Supper, the Passover meal. This is a meal where it was very custom where you would share memories and have remembrance of the release out of the slavery in Egypt, your ancestors upon ancestors. You would gather around a table and have stories and have tell these great stories of remembrance. And you would also, like we saw here, you would sing. Now, if I have folks over my house, friends, family, whatever, there's, there are times that we will definitely eat for sure. I don't know how many times we just say, hey, guys, can we go ahead and start singing songs real quick? Anybody, anybody want to bring one? You know, what's your favorite one on the radio right now? Like, not, not many people are coming to the dinner table being like, I got a song. Can we go ahead and sing this out real quick? I pass out the, you know, the lyrics for everybody. Like, that's not happening in my house. I know that even for us, every single Friday night, my wife and I have pizza night, pizza, ice cream, movie night with our two boys. We regret everything in the morning, but it's fine. Friday night is where it's at. Before we, you know, crack open the pizza and, and have our ice cream later, it's not like we say, hey, boys, before we hit play on this movie, we're going to sing a few songs together. Like, that's, that's not really a custom in my home. Maybe it is a custom in your home. Maybe you're looking at me like I'm crazy and you're the sane one because you guys are singing all the time. But this is what would actually take place in these ancient Jewish meals. They would break bread. They would have memories. They would share these moments together, and they would actually sing together pre the meal and post the meal. In fact, we see this in Mark chapter 14, verse 26 says that they sung a hymn, and then they went over to the Mount of Olives. And like I said, where the Mount of Olives is, it's outside of the gates of Jerusalem, and this is where the Garden of Gethsemane was. It's where Jesus was praying, and then eventually he's betrayed, and you know the rest of the story. But we see that they sung a hymn together. They were singing songs together. Now, what this hymn would have been known as is called the Great Halal. The Great Halal. In other words, it's the Great Praise. It was actually found in the book of Psalms in your Bible, Psalm 113 through 118. Again, I'm your tour guide, so hang with me. 
This is actually what they would be singing there at the Passover meal. Psalms 113 to 118. Now, pre the meal, they would actually sing Psalm 113 and 114. Post the meal, where we're gonna end up here, is Psalm 115 to 118. So I thought we should do something together. We should all stand and sing an entire psalm, Psalm 115, and, and pretend you can sing it. No one got excited about that one. Okay, what I really am gonna do, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna actually have Lauren and Kurt, two of our worship leaders that were singing earlier, come on out here, and uh, they're not gonna sing this. Oh, you are? Have you guys agreed? The first service, they didn't sing it. You guys really gonna? We've made an executive decision <laughs> to go trump what the pastor says. Perfect. So here's, here's what's really neat about this before I have them read this. Remember, Psalm 115, post the meal, Jesus, with his disciples, would have sung this hymn before going to Mount of Olives, to the cross, and to death. They would have been singing this very hymn together. So I thought it'd be neat for us to kind of like hear what the beginning parts of this hymn, this song that they sang before Jesus was betrayed. So Lauren, you're gonna, you're gonna I always say sing. If you wanna sing it, it's gonna sound interesting. All right, you're doing one through eight. And then Kurt, you're knocking out nine through, oh, 18. Man, I gave you so much. It's gonna be on the screen too, though. Okay, you guys ready? Thank you. Whoever yelled that, that was good. Here it is. Okay, Lauren, lead us, lead us out. Not to us, oh Lord. <laughs> it's going to take me like six seconds to you recover got it, from you got that. It. Okay. Not to us, O oh Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. For the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nation say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak, eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear, noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel, feet, but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both the small and the great. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children, May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of man. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence, but we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. Come on, give it up for these two. Thank you, guys. Don't you love Lauren so sweet? And then Kurt's like, bless the Lord. <laughs> oh, man, that's a true baritone. I love Kurt's voice. I want to wake up every morning with him just saying, good morning, Trevor. That would be a treat. And then he, like, tells me the weather and what to expect for the day. You have three meetings today. Sorry. All right, sidetrack. Totally bad tour guide. All right, bring it back. Come on in. We're still on this, We're still on this journey. So Psalm 115, okay, this was the beginning of this song, this hymn that Jesus with his disciples would be singing. 
It's amazing that we can kind of enter into this moment and these are the very words that they would be singing. Now, there's a few things I want to point out. Verse three and four, or really on verse four, the psalmist is referring to these idols made of silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes do not see, ears do not hear, all these different attributes of idols, yet they have no power. This is what the psalmist is pointing out, that every single idol may be uh, created to be like a God, but has no power like God. And then later in the exact same psalm, again, the song that Jesus would be singing with his disciples, there's these words like, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. He is your shield. You who fear the Lord, you can trust the Lord. Now, this word Lord is translated for us in our English language, but that word Lord is simply Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, they would have understood as they are singing these songs, they're saying, you do not trust in idols, but you trust in Yahweh. You're going to trust in God of the ancient Hebrew text. Now, here's what we're going to do. We're going to push pause in this story and in this meal and in this hymn. We're going to take us all the way back to Exodus, the book of Exodus, the second book in the Old Testament. We're going to go to Exodus 26. Now, what you guys need to understand, what we need to understand when it comes to this story is that God has made a, a way out of the slavery of Egypt with the children of Israel through the Red Sea. They are now free by the leadership of Moses. They're in the wilderness following God's instructions through the man, Moses, and they're waiting for instructions. God gives them instructions through Moses, and we see this in Exodus 26. It says this, 24. Moses came and told the people, all the words of the Lord and all, all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. I, I just imagine like all the Israelites are surrounding. They're like, we're all in. Let's do it. Come on. I don't know where we're going, but it's going to be good. Like they're all in. This is what happens in Exodus 24. We see Moses basically saying, hey, these are the written rules. This is what we're going to do. This is now the covenant that the Israelites, the children of Israel, the children of God are saying, we're signing on the dotted line. This is the covenant. We are all in. We are going to do it, and we're pumped about it. This is what they're doing. And then just a few chapters later in Exodus 32, Moses is on a mountain waiting for instructions from God to, where, to what to do next and where to go. And this is what we pick up. Right after they just had this covenant with God. Look at this in Exodus 32. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron, who had been the first priest, and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So here's the Israelites. We're... All in, one voice, let's go, let's do it. Where are we going? Chapters later, they're like, we have no idea what's happening. Where are we going? What's Moses doing up there? I think about it like in my own life, I can look introspectively and think, there are times in my life where I'm like waiting on God to do something, and because I feel like he's waiting, he's doing too much, he's taking too long, I'm like, well, you know what, I'm just gonna figure it out by myself. And this is exactly where we find the Israelites. They're going to the priest. Aaron, and they're saying, hey, we got to do something about this thing because Moses is taking far too long. And this is Aaron, the first priest. And this is what he does. Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were 
in their ears and brought them to Aaron and he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Man, Aaron missed it. The first priest is like, yeah, he is taking a while. We're gonna have to figure out how to solve this problem. So give me all the gold in the land and we'll just, you know, we'll make a golden calf. Now, here's the thing about this golden calf, right? This is an idol that the people would have been worshiping. But the thing about this golden calf, they still had the covenant with Yahweh. They still called this golden calf Yahweh. What they needed was just something to show them that they are worshiping God. It's not like they're creating a bunch of different idols. They actually believe they're doing something right. Now, even in the context, some historical context when it comes to this culture, Egyptians Egyptian uh, cults would have created different idols in the shape of bulls and calves. This was very common in this time. So we're looking at these Israelites saying, well, we just want to make sure we worship him well and we do this right. So Aaron, could you make us something so we can see it and worship it? The only issue in the problem here is this, is that the Israelites were attempting to domesticate God so that they could worship God in their own way. They were creating God in their own image of creating and worshiping God. And this would have been the Israelites' colossal stumbling block for generation after generation after generation, constantly trying to make idols to worship so they could worship a God that they could see. But like we read even in Psalms 115, these idols would have mouths that do not speak and ears that do not see or hear and eyes that do not see. And this would have been the colossal stumbling block of the Israelites. But here's the good news. After Moses is told by God in Exodus 34, Moses comes down the mountain and then there's a new covenant that comes together with the Israelites and God. This is what we read in Exodus 34. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh. Anytime there's a double name there, it's an emphasis of, for us as a reader, pay attention. Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty visiting and the iniquity of the fathers on children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. God is simply bringing his covenant back to his people. This is the good news. What's interesting is, like I said earlier, generation after generation after generation did not get this right. This was the stumbling block for the Israelite people, leading all the way up to they needed a final solution. And in comes the person of Jesus. John chapter one says this, very similar language. I love this. John 1, 14 through 17 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now John bore witness about him, and he cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. Check this out. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Exodus 34 says, For thousands of years, for thousands of people, grace upon grace, mercy upon mercy. God is faithful and just. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. 
Now, this is the good news now. The covenant is fully fulfilled through the person of Jesus. This is what John is trying to say at the very beginning of his gospel. Now, stay with me. Tour guide, you're, you're hanging with me, right? So going back to the Old Testament, we see this colossal stumbling block of idols and idol worship in the land of Israel and the people of Israel. They would have eventually had a new leader, a king. King Saul was the first king of Israel. And then it was King David, and then King Solomon, and then the kingdoms would have divided into Judah and Israel. And all these different kings have been put in charge. Most of them were so incredibly wicked that they would put more idols up amongst the land, and they would have people worship those idols. There were three kings in the ancient Hebrew text that would have said no. And here's the three kings. It would have been King Asa, King Josiah, King Hezekiah. In 1 Kings 15, 2 Kings 23, 2 Chronicles 29 and 30. Okay, hang with me. Every single one of these kings, whenever they would be put into their kingship in the land of Israel or Judah, they would have noticed that there's so much idol worshiping taking place. The very first thing they did was remove every single idol out of the land and out of the temples. And they would put these idols in what is called the Kidron Valley. Now, when Moses was called up from the heavens or called up from the mountains and God said, go down there, the Israelites are abandoning their covenant Moses took the golden calf, ground it up, and threw it into the valley to get rid of it. And in this text, in these three incidents, instances, we see these three kings are taking idols and they're, and they're grinding them up to put them in the Kidron Valley, which is right outside of Jerusalem. And this is where everything comes to a close. Back to the story of Jesus and his disciples having a meal and singing a hymn. Are you with me? Oh, thank you. So Mark 14, Jesus is sitting with his disciples, eating a meal. In John 13 through 17, he's speaking of the promised Holy Spirit as an advocate. He's talking about being betrayed, eventually going to the cross, but I will, I will return. He's washing their feet. It's a beautiful moment between J Jesus and his disciples. Mark's gospel tells us that they sing a hymn that we read earlier, and then they walk to the Mount of Olives. Right after singing this hymn, we see this in John's gospel, John chapter 18, verse one. It says this, see if you catch this. When he had finished praying for his disciples, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden and he and his disciples went into it. So this is a tour guide moment, stay with me. Jesus, after singing a hymn, breaking bread, is walking over to the Mount of Olives. But John's gospel gives us a key point to see here. It says that he walked over the Kidron Valley, the very valley that every single idol in ancient Hebrew texts and every single king that would have tossed every idol into this same exact valley, Jesus walks over over it, onto his purpose to fulfill for humanity to have salvation through his death and resurrection. This would have been called a design pattern. The reader would have seen the Kidron Valley, the same valley that Asa, Josiah, and Hezekiah, these ancient kings would have tossed idols into, ground them up to rid them of the people of God. Yes, and this is the same valley that Jesus, in a sense, is showing you and I, the reader, the listener, to symbolize I am over every single idol, 
every single man-made God, I am over all of it. I'm stepping on and over every idol that has ever existed because I am the King of Kings and I am the Lord of Lords and I'm worthy to be worshiped. This is what's taking place in this story, friends, that there's no other King like Jesus. There's no other God like Jesus in the same song that they would have sung as a hymn that all these idols that have been created, they have mouths, but they do not speak. They have hands, but they do not feel. They have ears, but they do not hear. They have eyes, but they do not see. Noses, they do not smell. But Jesus Christ, me, I see, I hear, I am God. And I'm going to show you on the way to the garden, on the way to betrayal, on the way to arrest, on the way to death, burial, and resurrection, Every single idol is under my feet. Every single idol from the past, the present, and the future, every single one of them is under my feet because I'm King Jesus, amen? And this is what we see, and this is why we can worship Jesus. This entire series is about Jesus. This is my worship. This is why we worship Jesus. This is why we can worship Jesus. This is why we sing songs to and about Jesus. Amen? Four City, you see this psalm, this hymn that they would have sung out together. There's no idol in comparison to Jesus Christ. It's under your feet. And you and me can trust what the psalmist saying and said, you can trust in Yahweh. You can trust in God. The covenant is renewed and restored and is fulfilled through the person of Jesus Christ forever. Just imagine that image and that picture that Jesus would have stepped over the very place that every idol would have been tossed into is mind-blowing. And I love that in John's gospel, it gives us this moment where we can look back and say, oh yeah, that's why he's God. That's why I worship him. That's why I sing songs about him. That's why I pray to him. That's why he's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. This is why we worship Jesus. Amen. Just stand with me and we pray for you. Thanks for being on this little tour with us. It's not over yet because I want to sing us to sing a song to close out this moment and to close out this series. We're going to do a new song simply called His Name is Jesus. But first, let me pray for us. God, thank you for this moment, this time we can look into the holy texts, the ancient scriptures and read things and see things and be exposed to some different design patterns of how this was written and how us as the reader and the listener can begin to see the nuances of what is taking place that Jesus, as you were walking over the Kidron Valley, it was a symbol of you being over every single thing. Every idol that we have constructed is now under your feet. Jesus, this is why we worship you. Thank you for walking over that, for going into the garden, for your death, your burial, and your resurrection. You are over death. You are over every idol. We love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. You've been listening to Trevor McDonald with the message, Why We Worship Jesus, which wraps up the series, This Is My Worship. Thanks for listening. 